0: See if I can get rid of this thing. It's a privilege to be able to uh, to be here and, and share with you this morning uh, what the Lord's kind of laid on my heart. Just excited to, uh, to be here with you. Um, I thought I'd take just a couple of minutes and, and kind of share with you a little bit about uh, some things that are going on in youth with missions uh, this summer. As, as many of you know, we went on a, a trip out to Tanelian Bible Camp, which is in Port Allsworth, Alaska, about 100 miles uh, southwest of, uh, of Anchorage. And uh, we've been doing that for quite a few years, helping staff a week uh, of primary campers, third and fourth graders. James and Sharon Walsh, who are missionaries uh, supported from our church, they're out there uh, serving the Lord um, at the camp, directors of the camp, and kids come from all over. Uh, all over the lake and Peninsula area to to come to this camp and have a have a great week um, just just really enjoying time with uh, with each other getting to know each other but also with with the staff and it is it is very impactful for for our kids to uh, to spend time at Tena Bible camp with these kids from from all over uh, the Bristol Bay Area and one of the one of the, the exciting things that uh, well, there's a couple exciting things. One of the most exciting is that many of these kids have never, ever heard uh, about, about God, about Jesus. They've, they've, they've heard things, they know the name Jesus, but they don't know anything about him. And so it's really an opportunity for us to share who Jesus is, who God's word says he is, and, and what he did. And, and that's very exciting. Another thing is uh, that this summer there was three kids that have been going to Tanelian Bible Camp for many, many years that were on staff all summer long from different areas in, uh, in the villages there. And it's just so exciting to see them uh, stepping up and, and leading and helping serve and, and helping uh, uh, share Christ with, with uh, people that uh, are really from villages around where they're at. And some of them, they're the same village. Another thing I wanted to share... Uh, there's an opportunity coming up here in uh, in a few weeks, and Craig Schwartz, who uh, Craig and Crystal Schwartz are missionaries from our church, and Craig has asked that uh, that we come and do a basketball camp uh, down in Soldovia, Alaska. And uh, a few years ago, about two and a half years ago, you may remember we went to uh, to a another village there on on the uh, on the chain or, or just across catch uh, match. Ketchumack Bay from Homer, and we put on a basketball camp there, um, and, and now we're in Soldovia, inviting kids from the, the area to, to just come in and to use basketball as a tool to teach them the game of basketball, to teach them um, how, to, uh, how to play and improve their skills and, and do uh, something that they enjoy doing very much, but also to, uh, to share... Uh, Christ with them, and so so Craig has invited uh, a group uh, from our church and from the school to come down and do that, and that'll be uh, that'll be happening here in a, in a couple weeks. So so we're excited about that, and then there's one more uh, opportunity youth wise, a college group um, is responding to. Uh, to uh, Chelsea and Aaron Mewson, who uh, are missionaries up at Victory Bible Camp from our church. They, they uh, have a new baby, just finished up a, a summer of camp, a great summer up there, and they are in need of some help uh, getting firewood for the winter. And so our college group said, oh, man, go chainsaws and, and axes and, uh, and chopping wood? That sounds like a great weekend. So, uh, so a bunch of kids uh, here, here in October are going are gonna to head up and, uh, and spent a couple days just really stacking wood. If you have never been, uh, seen what, uh, what teenagers, young people, a, a herd of them can do uh, when they put their mind to a task, it's amazing. Uh, just as far whether it be yard work or whether it be stacking wood or whether it be breaking things, whatever it is, when they put their mind to something, they can, they can really, uh, really take care of business. So, so we're excited about that coming up in, in October as well. So just just a few a few things that, that I'm excited about, and hopefully that'll in, encourage you as well. Well, this morning um, I thought I'd talk on something. I was I was uh, talking with a, a young man in his 20s uh, a while back, and he this is a young man loves the Lord, and uh, he uh, he just had some some struggles that were going on. He had some doubts about his faith, about where he was at with the Lord. Uh, he just was really struggling with God and with God's Word and saying, you know what, I, I, I've grown up in the church, I, I've served God and, and tried to serve Him my, my whole life, I, I really believe, but I just, sometimes I just have doubts and I just have wonders. And uh, I just wonder if this isn't just something that my parents have brought me up in, or if this is actual truth, if this is real. And so he's just kind of struggling with that. And uh, I appreciated that he was honest and said, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Because some of us are like, oh, well, no, I don't struggle. I, I believe. I never have any doubts. I'm always good. But the reality is, there are times when we struggle, times when we're just like, oh, God, are, are you there? Are you there? I don't really feel you here right now. And uh, so. He, uh, he really was, was wrestling with this. And he also said, if, if I'm struggling, if I'm not sure, if I'm just kind of wondering, how can I share uh, what, I, what I know and what I believe about God with other people? Don't I have to be just rock solid? Can I, can I share with other people? How am I going to do that? Because he wanted to be, to be obviously, honest and, and share his heart with people. And so we talked for a while, and... and uh, you know, I, I just uh, want to talk a little bit about this morning on on doubts, when we as followers of Jesus, as 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 followers of God, have have doubts in our lives. You know, James uh, one six says uh, that uh, we must believe and not doubt. For he who doubts is a is a double minded man, unstable in all that he does. And so, you have this thing, well, I can't doubt. There's no way I can doubt because then I'm unstable and I, and I, and I don't have any idea what's going on. Um, there is no question that having a being a part of the Christian life, walking with God, is, is part of faith. You must have faith. There's no question. That's the way God designed it. That's the way he wants it to be. We have to have faith in him. And yet, there are things that hold us and show us that this faith is real, is true. And we can uh, we can take, take solace and we can say, you know what, this is real. God is who he says he is. His word is real. His word is true. And so, uh, let me just talk a little bit about that this morning. I thought first I'd, I'd point out, you know, there's a lot of, of believers, of followers of Jesus in the Bible that, that had doubts, that had struggles. And some, the some of them are the bigwigs. Some of them are the, you know, the ones that we really look to. Wow, there's no way that that person had, had, had struggles. But scripture is very, very clear and tells us that there were. Moses. God called Moses in in Exodus to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into the promised land. Right? That's that's what he called them to do, and yet Moses uh, was begging God to send someone else. God, I just don't think you got the right guy. I don't I don't think you know what you're doing. Please send someone else. I can I, talk, I, talk, I talk, don't. I talk, don't talk real well. Send someone else. All right. And and so Moses was 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 begging God. He had all kinds of excuses. Um, he was doubting that God really knew what he, was, what he was doing. But God did things through Moses. He had the, the burning bush experience. He had, he had the throwing the rod on the ground experience. He had all of the, the miracles, the plagues that he did in Egypt. He needed those. He needed to see how God was going to use him and prove himself to them. He needed those struggles so that his faith was strong when he was leading God's people through the wilderness. He was face-to-face with the most powerful man in all the earth. Face-to-face. God had to do something to build his faith up to say, you can believe me, you can trust me, I have it under control. It's an amazing story, Moses. How about Gideon? Gideon, the, the, the Midianites uh, had, had come and they were oppressing Israel and they were raiding them and stealing their food and, and stealing all of their, their livestock and just really uh, having their way with, with Israel. And so Gideon was in a wine press, he's in this uh, pit and he is, is beating, thrashing out wheat for, for his family in a wine press. He's hiding basically is what he's doing. As he's thrashing wheat because he doesn't want the Midians to come and take his, his wheat that he's, he's worked hard for. And so he's there. Uh, an angel from God comes to him and says, you know, you're going to lead my people. You're going to deliver them from the Midianites by my hand. You're going to be the leader. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got, you got the wrong guy. I am the youngest in my family and my clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and all of the you know the 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 tribe that my clan. Is. I, I I am not the guy for this. You got the wrong guy, and so uh, you know the story how how he he kind of laid this fleece out and, and really wanted God to show him that yes, indeed, you are the one that I'm that I want, and so so Gideon. Uh, you know walked through this little uh, wrestling with God over whether he was the one that he wanted to lead to deliver his people or not and so uh, so he also needed to know without a doubt that he was the one that God had chosen to deliver his people. Gideon needed to know that, and then Gideon rose up and he uh, did an amazing job following God, being faithful to God and and delivered them from the hand of the Midianites. peter uh, peter 's an interesting one peter 's uh, a lot like uh, uh, me, a lot like maybe some of some of you where he just kind of uh, says says things that really don 't come off the way they should or maybe they did, and they 're just really dumb things to say that might be uh, more, more more closely uh, aligned there but but uh, tells us in the book of Matthew, when when Jesus is walking on the water at at night out to his disciples, uh, Peter sees him and says, oh, if that's really you, Lord, let me come come to you. Let me come walking out on the water with you, which seems like a great thing to say, doesn't it? That seems like a great idea. This is sweet. I'm going to walk on top of the water. Until Jesus says, come on. You're like, ooh, what did I say? And so Peter goes; gets out of the boat, doesn't he? Scripture tells us he gets out of the boat. He walks on this water. And then he has a crisis of faith. He sees the waves. He sees the wind. He sees things are, are kind of tough around him. And he, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts sinking. And, G, and he cries out. He said, Lord, save me. Save me, Lord. I'm, I'm drowning. So Jesus stretches out his hand, lifts him up, and he says to him, he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? I got you. You're here with me. And Peter, we see him kind of bouncing back towards, from, from things that he said that were not so great, other things that he said where were his, his uh, faith and his uh, walking with the Lord was really solid um, the rest of his lives. John the Baptizer. John the Baptist. He was uh, he was preceded Christ uh, in that he was the one who was going to to prepare the way for for the Messiah coming for Jesus coming, and so John the baptizer uh, he got arrested and was thrown in prison, and uh, and later on you know that he got he got beheaded, and so we're we're looking at this and we're going hmm he's in prison. Uh, this isn't necessarily how he thought things were supposed to go when, when he was uh, the one who was going to, to show the way, prepare the way for the Messiah. And then Jesus' ministry at that time was, was, uh, was going through some difficulties. They were, they were struggling. They were, uh, th- he was having opposition, and, and people were, uh, were grumpy with him. People were trying to kill him. People were trying to arrest him. They were, they were not having a good time. And so, and so John the baptizer, uh, the Baptist in Luke 7, he sent some of those his own followers after, after Jesus, sent them to Jesus and said, are, are you the one that is to come or should we look for someone else? He said, are you, are you it? I thought you were it. I'm pretty sure you were it, but I, the, the way things are going, I'm just not sure. I have doubts. And so he sent his disciples off and Jesus um, told John's followers, he said, tell him what you see and what you hear. Tell him that people are being healed, that there are miracles being done, that the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking. And tell him what the message is that I am sending you, and he will know. Because he knew that these signs were prophesied that that the Messiah would come bring these signs. And so they went back and told John what they saw and what they hear, heard in Jesus. And as they went back and, and talked to him, as, as they left, do you remember what Jesus said about John? He said, Of those that are born among women, there was no one greater than John the baptizer. No one greater. Born among women. And yet he had doubts. Isn't that interesting? Having doubts, having struggles, is not, does not mean that, uh, that, you, that you have you know, walked away from the faith that you don't truly believe. That's, that's not it. The Bible has many heroes of the faith that had doubts about Jesus at, at one time or another. But it's what they do with those doubts that, uh, that is really important. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture uh, where people that were followers of Jesus walked away from him. And, and they, they heard his teaching and just said, you know what, this is too hard. Um, I don't understand. It's too hard to follow what you're saying. I'm gone. And they walked away. We're going to look at John chapter 6. One of my favorite chapters, and and uh, <clears throat> it's a long chapter, but I think setting it up, uh, I need to speak through from, from the beginning of the chapter. So I'll I'll kind of surmise here for a while, and then we'll then we'll uh, read a little bit later on. But John chapter six, it starts out with uh, with the feeding of the five thousand. Starts out with a miracle. It starts out with uh, with Jesus meeting with with a, a, a large crowd, and he's talking to them, he's addressing them. It's late in the day, and they are getting hungry, and they need something to eat. And so he tells his disciples, give them something to eat. And Philip says, oh Lord, it's going to take you know, 200 denarii. It's going to take 200 days' wages to feed all these people. There's no way that we can feed all these people. There's 5,000. That's just the men that they counted. They said there's 5,000. There's a lot of people. There's no way we're going to feed all these people. And Jesus says, have them, have them sit down. And, and they, they come and they find that there's a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, just have them sit down. So he prays over it. He breaks up the fish and the bread, gives it to the disciples. The disciples distributed among the people. And, and you know the story. You know what happened that day. Everyone was fed till they were full and there were leftovers. You know, so your your mother would be proud. You know that that Jesus did well with leftovers, and he they gathered up all of the food that was left over, and the, what they had left over was more than they started with. Was more than they started with, and so they uh, they they thought this is amazing. This this is this is fantastic. So they wanted to make Jesus king by force. They wanted to try and make him king, but he said, you know what, my time is not come. This is not what God has planned for me. And so he withdrew by himself, and he went by himself. And then uh, the next uh, section talks about uh, he he sent the disciples in their boat across the Sea of Galilee, and so they got in a boat, and most of these guys were fishermen, not all, but most of them were commercial fishermen. And so they got in a boat, and they cruised across the the Sea of Galilee. And uh, and it was night, and it was a little rough, and and things were were a little little ominous there. And... uh, and this, this is when Jesus walked on the water. And Luke doesn't tell us about, <clears throat> about Peter here, but it says that Jesus walked on the water to go meet them. And, uh, and he met with them, and they made it across to the other, other side of the lake. And, uh, and, and just having him walk on the water, feeding the 5,000, walk on the water, the disciples are starting to see who this is. They're starting to see that, that this there's something going on here that is from God that is amazing. And so um, they were uh, the, the people came from across the lake and, uh, and they were wondering kind of how Jesus got there because they knew he didn't go with his disciples. And, and scripture tells us they asked him uh, what was going on and how he got across there. And, uh, and Jesus uh, totally dismissed all that and he said, here's the deal, the reason you want to make me king is because I've done miracles for you. I, I have healed those people that were sick around you, and I have fed those of you that were hungry. That's why you want to make me king, because I've, I've met these physical needs that you have. That's what you want to do. They were, they were interested in Jesus and, and in a king that would meet their physical needs. But Jesus said, you're not interested in me meeting your spiritual needs. As long as I meet your physical needs, you're fine. But as soon as I bring up the spiritual needs, you're like, whoa, I don't know. And we're going to see that here as we go on. And I ask, I had to ask myself, and I ask you, does that describe where you're at? Are you, are you all for Jesus? Are you following him? Yeah, it's no problem. I believe, you know, the Bible is God's word, and I believe in Jesus that he is who he says he is, as long as things are going well, as long as my needs are being met, as long as life is, is pretty good. But as soon as it struggles, as soon as we have a difficult time, as soon as, as soon as stuff got, I did not really plan for this or that, then it's like, wait a second, I, 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 I don't believe in you anymore. Is that where you're at? To me, that's a great question that we need to ask ourselves. Well, there comes a long discussion about uh, the people that are looking for signs from Jesus. They want more so that they can believe. Show us a sign so that we can believe. Show us a sign so that we can believe. I guess all the healings and the feeding of the 5,000, all these things going on, that's, that's, that's not it. Show us a sign. In other words, they, they wanted him to do more for them. They mentioned that Moses uh, um, gave people manna in the wilderness as they were wandering. Remember the Old Testament; they were wandering the wilderness, and and God supplied bread called manna that came down and fed the people every day. They just had to go out and gather it each day, and then come back in. and And uh, if you know the story, that was an act of faith. That was building up the faith in these people that God was providing for them each day, right? Daily needs met, right there. And so. Uh, so he was, uh, they were comparing Jesus feeding the 5,000 um, with, with uh, the manna that came from heaven and, and Moses. So they didn't, they didn't really come out and say it, but they definitely uh, hinted strongly. Uh, you know, Moses uh, gave us you know, manna in the desert for 40 years, and you fed some folks for a day, for an afternoon. Show us something. Are you greater than Moses? Show us a little something. And uh, Jesus, first he said, <clears throat> "Excuse me." First he said, "You need to understand, Moses didn't provide the manna. The manna came from God. The manna came from God, Father in heaven. That's where it came from." And secondly, uh, he said, he he he, totally dismissed their 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 question, their charge, and he said, "I am the bread of life." I am the bread of life, he says in, in verse 35. And they're, what are you talking about? They, they just did not understand. And so Jesus proceeds to, to do this analogy and to teach them uh, in things that, that they did not understand at that point in time. Later on, they, they would. Um, some of them would. But, uh, but at this time, they didn't. So in, uh, in verse 41 of John chapter 6, I'm going I'm to read here for a bit. It says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread... He will live forever, and the bread that I will give them for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So the crowd, they were from the same region that he was. They're in Galilee. They're they're where Jesus grew up, okay? Okay. Uh, it's closer than here to the valley. You know, we're probably talking uh, less than here to Eagle River. So, so these guys that had heard about him, they they knew uh, about him. They knew his parents, and they're going, "Wait a second. he says, "He's from heaven." We know, isn't this Joseph's son? He grew up in in you know in Nazareth right here. And so they balked at his claim that he came from heaven. Jesus speaks to them in this analogy. And he says, he, he, uh, he's talking to them about eating of his flesh, flesh in a spiritual sense. And they took him literal. They took him literal. You know, the Mosaic Law in Leviticus had some serious, uh, serious things to say. You guys know about this. It prohibited the eating of flesh with blood in it or, or the drinking of blood. Okay, I'm just going to bounce back quick to Leviticus 17, verses 10 through 12. I think it, I think it's worth our time just to read read this and hear what is said in the Mosaic Law. Leviticus 17, 10 through 12. If any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against the person who eats blood. I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. So, so it was forbidden for, for Jews to eat meat that had blood in it or to to eat blood or or drink blood. It was it was absolutely forbidden. So this idea that they were going to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood, this was just this was this was not where they were at. This was this was terrible. They were saying that he is he is is crazy. And uh, and we're gonna see that a little bit more. An Israelite was to be cut off from the people. If, uh, if that happened. But did you notice how it said the blood represented the atonement for the people? And on the altar, the sacrifices that Jesus instituted, where they would sacrifice animals on the altar and they would sprinkle the blood on the altar. That was an atonement for the sins of the people. That's a picture for these people of what Jesus is going to do with his sacrifice on the earth. That's the way God had it planned all along. That these atonement, these sacrifices, would be a picture of Jesus, of what he is to do when he comes. They didn't realize that Jesus would be giving his blood as the atonement, his blood as the sacrifice. They didn't realize that. So they were very offended by these statements. They could not get over the physical picture that was in their minds as to what Jesus was trying to say to them, the spiritual concept that he was trying to say to them. Verse 52 says, The Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me. And I live because the Father, whosoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So he he talked about Feeding on his his flesh and drinking his blood, was he saying that uh, come over and I'll carve off a, a slice and, and hand it to you? No, that's kind of crazy. That, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. Was he saying maybe he's saying about uh, about communion, about the Last Supper, where where we symbolize that? Was he saying that that through the taking of communion you you uh, you come into eternal life? No, that hadn't that hadn't happened yet, right? That was. At the end of his life that he instituted, he said, in remembrance of me, you do this. So that was not what he was talking about. What he was talking about was the sacrifice he used to make. And he's talking about, you gotta be, you got to be totally sold out and in on me if you're going to have this eternal life. It's all about having faith that the sacrifice that I am giving to you is for you. You are going to partake in my sufferings. You're going to partake in the sacrifice of this blood forever." He was not talking about about his flesh, his physical flesh. He was not talking about communion, but he was talking about acknowledging and accepting his death and resurrection to give you the true life that will last forever. Well, the Jews that were following, they couldn't handle us. They could not handle us. Verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The heaven that he, that he talked about, about earlier. Is it the Spirit who gives life? The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But these there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who would not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, "This is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it is granted him I'm sorry. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father." After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, "Do you want to turn away as well?" So there was people who had followed him, who had latched onto his teachings, who were walking with him, and they said, I can't do this anymore. You're asking me to break the Mosaic Covenant. You're asking me to feed on your flesh. I can't do this. I, 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 this has not happened. I am gone. I'm gone. I'm done. And so when they didn't understand, when it didn't make sense to them, they left. They jetted. And there are many people today who will do the exact same thing. When life doesn't make sense to them, the first one they say, see you to, is God. They leave. Because I don't understand it. God, I'm done with you. I walk away. He knew that there were those who did not believe, that were following him. He states that no one can come to believe in Jesus unless the Father has given it to him. That that, that faith comes from the Father. In verse 66, many of his disciples left him. And Jesus Jesus demanded too much of them. He demanded something that they couldn't give. He demanded that from them. Well, there was a group that did believe. And so he asked the twelve. He said, Sir, are you going to leave too? You guys done? The ones that he had selected, the ones that he had chosen, Are you done? Are you leaving? Let's look at verse... uh, Well, let's look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, for one of the twelve, for he was going to betray him. So the twelve did not leave. They didn't leave. Even though Judas Iscariot was going to betray him, he did not leave. They, They didn't go. And Peter shows his faith and his belief in Jesus, doesn't he? He shows that he knows who he is. He said, Lord, where would we go? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. You're it. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. And even if, the, even if the twelve and Peter did not fully understand what Jesus was saying, and I guarantee you, they didn't understand. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. What? I, I, they didn't understand. But they weren't going anywhere. They said, we are staying with you. And so they were committed to him and fully trusted in him. They believed that he was the Holy One of God. You know, there was, this was not the only time that Jesus did things or said things that the disciples were like, ah, uh, boy, I, I don't know. I don't understand. I, I don't get it. Help me, because I don't get it. But they still followed after Jesus. They still had their faith in Him. They did not waver in their belief in Him, in Him being who He said He was. Well, it comes to me that each of us needs to ask, which one of these groups are we in? Are you one of the crowd of disciples that will follow Jesus as long as he meets the needs and as things go as they should, as you think they should. Are you, are you going to follow him? Are you going to walk with him that way? Is that, is that where you're at? Or are you more like the father of, a of, in Mark chapter 9, there was a father of a demon-possessed boy who had run out on all his out. Op- he, he had no other answer. There was nothing that was going to help save his son. This, this demon would, uh, would throw his son in the fire trying to destroy him. And he threw himself in the water trying to kill him. And he he had nowhere else to go. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you can help my son, please help my son. And Jesus said, if? You're saying, if? All things are possible for the one who believes. That's what Jesus' response was. You know what the man said to Jesus? Lord, help my unbelief. Help me. I want to believe. Help me to truly believe in you. And sometimes, when we have doubts in our lives, sometimes, when we have crises, isn't that where we're at? Lord, help me believe. I want to believe in you. i got nowhere else to go. So, as I was looking at this, I started thinking, if, you were to ask, if someone were to ask you the question, are you interested in having your faith strengthened? if you have if you have a faith in Christ are you interested in have it it strengthened how are you going to have your faith strengthened if you're not tested if there are not struggles it doesn't happen in our physical bodies we don't get stronger unless we tax our bodies and we fatigue them and we build muscle you know become a stronger runner Unless you run to a place of total exhaustion where you are fatigued and then you get stronger and healthy, it, it doesn't work. It's the same in our spiritual life. Unless we are challenged in our faith, we don't get stronger. And so God uses these challenges in our faith. So if you're interested in having your faith strengthened, you can count on. That you will go through struggles, you will go through trials, you'll go through things that you just don't understand. God, I just don't understand what is going on. I don't understand why this happened. You know, one thing that's really helped me through the years, when I have doubts in my life, when I'm like, God, are you, are you there? I just don't feel you. I don't, you know, word, God, please speak. I just, you know, I'm just struggling right now. One of the things that's helped me... Um, is not to focus on the things that I don't understand. I mean, there are things, there, there are many, many things in God's Word that I, I don't understand. You can ask me questions about it and I'll say, this is what I think, but really, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm working on it, I'm studying, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord, but there are things that I'm just not sure about in God's Word. There are things that I don't understand as to why He does things. But rather than focus on the things that I don't understand, that's, that's where Satan wants us to be. He wants to point out, you don't have God figured out. He said to Eve, did God really say? You know, He, he challenges us with doubting God. Do you really know about God? Well, wait, a, wait a second. Did God? And so he's trying to challenge us with what we don't know, what we haven't figured out about God. God's so above us, there's no way we're going to have him totally figured out. If you are, you're a lot smarter than anyone else I know. But rather than focus on the things that we don't have figured out about God, what about focusing on those things that you know to be true about God? Things that you know that He has done in your life. Ways that He has directed you and led you down a path. Answers to prayer that He has done that, that really, this can only come from God. Ways that He has met your need. Times when in in difficult times or crises or struggles, you know that he has held you and sustained you and comforted you and strengthened you. And you can't deny that. Just like Peter couldn't deny. There are things in our lives that he has done, ways that he has shown himself so faithful to us that we cannot deny. If you can start explaining those things in your life away that God has done, then maybe, maybe you're not really a, a follower of his. If you can honestly say, no, I, I, I cannot think of a time when God has been faithful to me in my life, when he has not been there for me, when he has not strengthened my family, when he has not provided in a time when I need it, or provided for me continuously, daily. If you can say that, then maybe you're not one that's truly a believer in the law. But if you cannot deny the things that he has done in your life and in the lives of people around you that you see, if you cannot deny the things that he's done in their life, then really our option is, same as Peter, Lord, where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. There's, there's no one else for me to go. You know, and in closing, I have an illustration about the relationship that, that Jesus is calling us to. And I use this with kids. Now, you need to understand I'm not a big poker player, okay? I'm not a big poker player. You guys, well, I don't know if you're poker players either. But uh, you, I, wouldn't, I would not make a living at poker. Put it that way. I don't, I don't condone that. I'm just, I, I know a lot of people that struggle with gambling and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that at all. But hear me out. If in this game called life, if you want to call it that, you have these chips in front of you, what Jesus is asking you is that you slide all your chips in to the center and say, it's all on Jesus. You're not holding a chip back, fondling one, or you're not tossing in what I can spare so that I still got good, but just in case, you know, Jesus really is who he says he is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in what I can spare. He's saying, you need to be all in. I'm all in. If it's not Christ, I lose. I'm all in on him. That's what he's asking from us. That's the relationship that he wants to have. That's what he's talking about, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. I'm all in. That's the question that we have to answer. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenges of your word. God, I thank you for the things that we understand, the truth that we see in your word, but I also thank you for the things that we don't understand, that we just struggle with. Because God, we understand that that strengthens our faith and our walk in you. We don't have to have everything figured out. But it's about truly walking with you. I pray that you would work in our hearts and minds this week, that your words, that the words that Peter spoke, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we know that you are the Holy One of God. I pray that those words would ring in our ears this week and we would be sold out, all in, for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.